Hello and welcome to Tape Heads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Tape Heads is the show where we select a VHS tape from either my collection or Lindsay's collection or sometimes even a guest's collection. We watch it and then we talk about it. Um, this episode was supposed to be an American Werewolf in London. Unfortunately, my 25-cent copy of the film was chewed up immediately by our VCR. Heartbreaking, <laughs> because I wanted to, uh, to introduce Lindsay to this movie, but uh, I, the, the VCR gods just frowned upon this. So yeah. it'll have to wait until uh, fate pairs us with another cheap copy of that movie on VHS. We ended up having to actually cut the tape to get it out of the VCR. Yeah, this was similar <laughs> to the scare we had on Adventures in Dinosaur City, but luckily we were able to salvage that tape. Um, but the good news is we're back, and we have a very special guest, uh, and it is a horror film. My good friend from film school, cinematographer Gavin Murray. Hello, Gavin. Hello, Sean. Hello, Lindsay. Hello, Radio World. <laughs> you brought a very special... VHS tape for the show today. What did you bring us? I brought the widescreen collector's edition of Evil Dead 2. Now a widescreen VHS tape. This is really something special. We have not had a widescreen film on the show yet. I'd have to say this is one of the better looking VHS tapes we've had on the show to date. It also does say it's digitally remastered. How exactly you digitally remaster a VHS tape, I'm not sure. It did seem a little bit better than others we've had. Yeah. Um, so tell us about Evil Dead 2. This is a movie that I think all of us have seen prior. All of us have a big history with. Um, first, just sort of tell us what this movie is. So Evil Dead 2, as best I can describe it, is kind of a sequel remake to Evil Dead. It's the story of uh, a couple on a quiet, romantic getaway that goes wrong in that... The woman of the couple turns into a monster and is beheaded by the boyfriend, played by Bruce Campbell. And this happens in, like, the first ten minutes, too. Like, they really get down to it. Whereas the first movie had a lot of build-up, and it was five friends in a cabin. This is Ash and his girlfriend, and I feel like she's almost immediately possessed and he decapitates her. Like, there's no downtime in this film. No, just... Piano, dancing, and murder. Lots of possession. How did you first discover Evil Dead 2, Gavin? Um, I saw Evil Dead 2, I guess, kind of late for when I think I should have seen it. But I was in high school. It was around the time I just started smoking and drinking. (laughs) And I went over to a friend's house. It was actually my first time at my friend's house. It was like five of us having a little sleepover. We were watching softcore comedy porn. (laughs) Um, Spider Babe, which is, I don't know if it's worth a watch, but it was fun at the time. Okay. <laughs> As the daylight disappeared, we put in Evil Dead 2, got pretty messed up, and I had like a religious experience watching all the colors and the beauty that is Bruce Campbell on screen. Yeah, he really does have a lot of charisma. Also, saying all the colors, like I just remembered, they have so many different colors of blood in this movie. Yeah. Blue, green, red. Which apparently was to avoid the X rating that the original got. Because Uh, the original pretty much stuck with dark red blood. The original also had a kind of graphic rape scene where a tree rapes a woman. Yes, yes. Just hinted at in this movie. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there's implied tree rape in this one. Which I'm glad they didn't go there. So, Gavin, both you and Lindsay, I think, saw Evil Dead 2 
first. This is the first of the series that you yeah. saw. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was introduced to this series by my mom. And tell Actually. us about this, Lindsay. <laughs> well, my mom's a big fan of sci-fi and horror, and I grew up watching Xena Warrior Princess, in which Bruce Campbell plays the very, very uh, handsome king of thieves and so we were just into bruce campbell and my mom was already kind of aware of this series so she showed my mom my brother and i evil dead 2 and army of darkness obviously she didn't show me evil dead 1 i didn't see that until much later the original evil dead is almost like a glorified student film in some ways because bruce campbell and the director sam raimi were childhood friends and like this was their first feature they were both in their early 20s and they had like less than $100,000 and they shot this over the course of 12 weeks. They had one of the most grueling shoots imaginable <laughs> at this cabin out in Tennessee where they had no plumbing. They, there was constant injury and bickering amongst the crew members. And that was, I guess, in the late 70s, early 80s that they actually shot the film. And it came out and had a cult following. They tried to do this other movie, Crime Wave, that didn't really catch on, and then sort of uh, licking their wounds, they returned to this familiar territory to do Evil Dead 2 on a much bigger budget, on a budget of just under $4 million. So in a lot of ways, this is like both a sequel and like a bigger budget remake of the original. Kind of an El Mariachi Desperado type thing. But I feel like each of the films in this trilogy can be seen independently anyway. Definitely. The only thing that really ties them together is an Evil Dead 2, when it it ends, it does Mm -hmm. work as an ending. Yeah. But it also clearly works as a beginning and... That's why those second two are definitely tied together. But mm-hmm. even those, the tone switch between all three movies yeah. are just so different in their experience. Because the first one is like a straight horror movie where they are honing their skills and it does feel very raw. With touches of dark comedy, but nothing slapstick on the level of the second one. Right, and the like. second one, you know, he beats himself silly with plates while his hand laughs at him in a high-pitched voice. Which, on this watch of it, what an amazing physical performance by Bruce Campbell. Doing all this crazy stuff, flipping himself over with his own yeah. hand, yeah. breaking plates on his over his own head. All this reverse animation stuff that he did. It's kind of a tour de force. It's almost like a silent movie performance at times. Like a Buster Keaton thing that we're watching. I mean, that scene specifically was clearly filmed off speed, too. So yeah. all the there's so much ADR in this movie. Work shed. <laughs> what, what is ADR? Additional dialogue recording. Or looping. Yeah, one of the things I was noticing through some of that scene in the kitchen where he's attacking himself, it looked like they had sped it up a little bit yeah. to make it kind of more shocking and more uh, exciting. Yeah, Sam Raimi's all, and Peter Deming, who shot it, are all over the place in terms of visual experimentation and the way Sam moves the camera. To me, like, that and the color... It's just was I hadn't seen anything in this realm before mm-hmm. when I first saw it. And you coming from Xena Warrior Princess, <laughs> which is which is Sam Raimi's, uh, he's the showrunner on that. Oh, I didn't realize that. So yeah. there probably was that. a lot more. His brothers <laughs> in that too, I think, or is I that Hercules? Uh, might have been Hercules. I don't know because those were really tied together. They yeah. always did yeah. crossover stuff. And I'm really impressed the fact that this is Peter Deming, the the DP's first feature, because it's. Seems like Sam Raimi threw every single trick in the book in this movie. There's off-speed stuff, all these weird Dutch angles and dolly shots where there's a spear on the end of the dolly that breaks through windows and 
reverse animation stuff, stop motion. I mean, I cannot think of a sing- matte shots. I can't think of a single thing that was not done in this movie. And to me, that kind of reminds me of just really the film school approach of trying anything that works. They clearly brought back the uh, just tying a camera to a plank of wood and running with it. Mostly out of budgetary reasons. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, when I was watching this, I was like, did they do this to save on budget so they didn't have to create all these monsters running through the woods? I was also wondering if it plays into the legend of it, because technically not all of the evil has come into physical form, right? Yeah. Right. My experience with this series, this trilogy meant a lot to me. I, I discovered it in the fourth or fifth grade, and I remember... It was the same part of the family that introduced me to Tremors. Um, <laughs> That's a good my part relatives of in Auburn. What I remember about the VHS tape of the original Evil Dead is there were like ten different box arts for it. There was some where like hands were coming out of the ground and grabbing the woman down. There was some where like it was just a head flying through like a fiery hellscape. But the cover that always gripped me was just Bruce Campbell, like, with his rifle over his shoulder, just staring out into the woods. And, like, once I saw that box art, I was like, I need to see this movie. And I, I liked the first one, and I'd sort of heard that the second one was even better. But what I remember very specifically, I remember renting the VHS tape from Popcorn Video in Visalia, which is, like, this mom-and-pop place where you could get, like, three movies, three nights, three dollars, or whatever. <laughs> and I remember... At the very end of the movie, there's less than a minute left. When he lands in, like, medieval times, I had no idea that this was going to happen. I had no idea that Army of Darkness is this medieval thing. The tape chewed up and ended right there when he landed in medieval times. And I had no idea, like, how much of the movie was left. Like, I freaked out. It's like, I need to see the rest (laughs) of this movie. I think what ended up happening is, because it was a mom-and-pop place... My dad and I decided we would just buy a new copy of it, and I'd just watch the ending of it, and then we'd return it and be like, sorry, we chewed up your tape. But it was funny, because we went to all this trouble just so I could see the last minute of this movie. But I remember, Army of Darkness especially growing up, Phil and I, that was our favorite movie. And like, especially because we were making movies of our own at that time, we kind of viewed our, at least I kind of viewed our (laughs) friendship as like, the Sam and Bruce sort of thing where it's like the director and the the actor sort of thing and we were so into these movies particularly the third one but I feel like as I've grown up the second one is definitely the best That's I mean funny. there's things that I like about one and three but I feel like Evil Dead 2 is one that I could put on at any time and just be totally into it yeah when I first watched these movies as a kid the third one was my favorite I think there's just a special appeal because it's so goofy and weird and it's got the fantasy elements in it but it's yeah. not quite as violent well it's pretty violent it's definitely the most accessible in terms of narrative too because it yeah. really does have more of a beginning, middle, end, and he's allowed to talk to people throughout. In this movie, I was kind of, in this rewatching, and I was really surprised to, I, I, you know, you remember the one-liners like Groovy and later on, This Is My Boomstick from Army of Darkness, but in this movie, it's like, all right, let's go. Yeah, there's very little dialogue <laughs> in it, and I forgot how much of this movie is just Ash or Bruce Campbell by himself in the cabin just kind of going insane and all these little set pieces like when all when the deer head laughs at him oh and all God. the furniture in the house is laughing at him and he yeah. starts laughing like I love those stretches where it's scene. kind of just that scene will never leave my mind just him alone in the house 
And apparently, I was reading that that all started because one of the producers on the film was doing an impression of a Popeye laugh with a gooseneck lamp. <laughs> and that's how that entire sequence originated. But th- there's something very magical about that sequence. I noticed that you corrected yourself from saying the character's name to referring to the person in the cabin as Bruce Campbell. This character, you know, he is Ash, but it's Bruce Campbell. Yeah. Is the star of this series as Bruce Campbell. And the off-branding that has jumped out of that has been mostly pretty magical. It's definitely been hit or miss. But there's just something amazing and charming about the man. And I remember it was around the time when I first watched these movies that I also read his autobiography, If Chins Could Kill... I feel like that's a real must-read for anyone who has an interest in Evil Dead or Bruce Campbell, just because his his chapters on this film and particularly the first film, it just he's just such a committed actor. The depths that he goes to to do these crazy horror films with Sam Raimi. Not as deep as Sam Raimi's brother, though. <laughs> yes, Ted <laughs> Raimi, who plays uh, the horror hag. <laughs> in the in the cellar, apparently was in this latex fat suit for long periods of time under hot lights and filling the suit up with his own sweat. <laughs> so gross. Could you imagine what it smelled like? I just can't get over when you told me he had to use an oxygen mask between takes. <laughs> and also apparently those white contact lenses, which were made of glass, and you had to take them out. Like, they're very primitive uh, contact lenses. You had to take them out after wearing them for 15 minutes because they were such what? an irritant. Oh my god. But, Gavin, going back to what you were saying about Bruce Campbell and Ash, it's really amazing to watch this character develop over the films because he's very two-dimensional in the first film, almost like Ripley in the in the first Alien movie. But as the movies go on, he sort of becomes more and more of like an action hero. And by the third movie, he's like almost like a parody of himself. So it's interesting in that sense. And also, yes, like I just sort of view Bruce Campbell as being Ash. Yeah. Well, and they tried to capitalize on it in... Um, it was a movie that he directed, actually, where he plays himself. Wait, I saw that movie. That's Call not, Me Bruce or something. Or My, My Name, Name is Bruce. Bruce. My Name yeah. is Bruce, Which yeah. wasn't as magical as I was hoping it would be. I it's had, hard to recapture the spirit. Yeah. I had really high expectations for Me it. Too. I, I'm trying to remember the premise. It was like it's, huge fans of Evil Dead were tracking him down. And all a, of it was actually coming to life. And he, It's a small town that has a... Uh, their economy is built around a crop that has uh, somehow being protected by an evil, ancient, I think, Chinese demon. Oh, that's what it is. I was confusing it with Bubba Hotep for a second. The man has a long-storied career. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, I feel like a big part of the enduring cult appeal of these movies, particularly the second one, well, and Army of Darkness, is just Bruce Campbell and just the, the myth around making these movies everything that he brought to this character of Ash, where there's not much on the page, so much of it is just his natural charisma and his ability as like a physical performer. There's also just something about the way Sam Raimi chooses to move the camera. Because they're not working with a very beefy script here. Yeah. Like we said, there's not much dialogue in this movie, and what's there is very simple and honest and straightforward. It's just like, stop hitting me. Or I'm going to hit you. Those are the two <laughs> points that they tend to communicate. And for me, it's too. It's going to these movies where you see someone like Sam Raimi coming from Evil Dead and then landing the Spider-Man franchise. He was taken on Warcraft. Now he's not. 
but just you probably the, dodged a bullet on that. Yeah, one. I, <laughs> yeah I was. I was true. when I heard that was happening. I was just hoping that he would move on to something better with his time. But yeah, <laughs> um, but th- these and you can see the imprint that I don't know if the movie made it on him or him made it on the movie. I guess there's but there's like a give and take in terms of specifically Spider-Man Two. There's so much Evil Dead in it, which is really surprising to see. And especially that scene where it's almost like they're they're about to do an autopsy yeah. on Doc Ock and all his tentacles come alive. I feel like there's even a recreation of that shot in Evil Dead 2 and the eyeball is flying into Bobby Joe's mouth. You get like a side profile of one of the tentacles flying at a woman's face and <laughs> things like that. They bring back the silhouette chainsaw too, if I, unless I remember incorrectly that... One, there's they have a woman screaming in terror as one of the tentacles brings down a medical device on her and then they cut to a shadow on the wall. Yeah, those first <laughs> two Spider-Man movies are pretty special in my opinion. Yeah, It's hard for me to really come up with faults with Evil Dead 2 just because it's it's exactly what it sets out to be and it really ups the bar. Like you said, working with very little, this is all like one cabin set and some woods in North Carolina and it just so much of it is use of atmosphere all these different gags with moving the camera the performance of bruce campbell well and i think any kind of fault you would find with the effects or whatever is okay because it's campy and fun yeah like it doesn't take itself seriously it's fault is turned straight into charm yeah i think of the woodshed scene when ash brings the head of the decapitated head (laughs) of his girlfriend who's come alive and is biting into his hand and he puts it into a vice I remember hearing a story of when Bruce Campbell first read the script and he saw the part where the headless corpse comes in with the chainsaw. He's like, oh, that's going to be scary. And on the, <laughs> and the day of Sam Raimi, I guess, came on over the megaphone and was like, okay, bring in the Muppet. <laughs> and then this like really jerky Muppet of the, his like, headless girlfriend holding the chainsaw came in and Bruce was like, that's what we're going to use? Like, isn't this supposed to be scary? But I feel like, again, that's just such an endearing thing to this movie to really commit to the dark slapstick side of it and to really work to make it different than the original. Yeah. And it's got so many absurd turns too because in that same scene he looks up and sees this chalk outline of a, of a chainsaw. <laughs> it's like who's going to have a chalk outline of a chainsaw in their woodshed but it's the ch- so he can start yeah. freaking out about the chainsaw. Then he goes, chainsaw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I love his lines that are just one word. Like there's also clearly... Right before that scene, he's wrestling with the head, and clearly, 80 yard after the fact, he goes, Work shed! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Completely unnecessary, because we, we get it. He's running over to the work shed. But it's, it's as if in post, they're like, we need to kind of clarify that a little bit. What's also great, like, leading up to the work shed, while he's got the decapitated head of his ex- I guess ex-girlfriend's the right term there? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I guess your ex if he became you. Yeah. <laughs> But, like, he bursts out the door, and then it's, you know, a good maybe 15-second shot where he just, in one shot, runs from the door, decide, like, jumps off of the staircase, rolls over a trash can, <laughs> falls, to, falls, to the, falls to his back, gets up, goes and smacks the head against the trash can, runs to a nearby tree, smashes the head against <laughs> the tree, then runs towards the camera... You think that maybe he's just going to run in there and it's going to turn to black, but no, he trips in front of the camera, <laughs> then like proceeds to fight with the hand in front of the camera in close-up before standing up and throwing the head into the camera. 
At which point they cut to black and you see the... And then yeah. <laughs> All of the transitions are great in this, too. Because that's one of the earlier scenes, too, where we get to see a lot of blood gushing everywhere. Yeah. Which happens very often in this movie. <laughs> but it, it's... There's this slow introduction of, like, there is chaos early on. But the thing, like I said, with the colors is that's one of the first times we see a bunch of blood. And not only that, it spurts up and coats the light the only light bulb in the shed yeah yeah turning the room red and so much of this movie the, the thing that really gets to me about the tone of this movie is it's it's very psychic and like i said i did watch it the first time while i was on drugs but <laughs> <laughs> there's so psychedelic. much psychedelia <laughs> in in this movie with and it may have been you know like the censors causing it but the real creative and colorful expressions that come out the lighting is insane frankly there's all these very very hard shadows that at this time were you know this is right before the 90s where that orange blue like harsh contrast became very very like more popular than it was and this is on that very doing doing a lot of that very well with a lot of very strange places that lights are coming from and creating the kind of noir there's not a there's a lot of lights playing really hard so the shadows are really dark and the highlights are really high. The colors in this movie, I can't even really <laughs> register the reasons for. Yeah. Specifically, like, and going to green at one point. Yeah. And I was watching it this time. I was trying to come up with, like, maybe a better understanding of the timing of the movie. Maybe the color green meant something. I'm not sure it did. I think they just, like, looked at a few buckets of blood and were like, that one looks really cool. Let's do that. Yeah. I wonder if it, in that, because with the green, it was when he was hacking her brother to death. I wonder if right. they were trying to make him, like, more alien and make it less emotional that he was being hacked to death in front of his sister. There was a note that you made that this is the first time that we know he's killing someone that we know could potentially be saved yeah. if they wait for sunrise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, now, that you touched on something interesting there. I mean, you, you mentioned right at the top of this movie, in a way it does pick up where Evil Dead left off, the original, in the sense that the last shot of that movie was that evil force hitting him, and then it cut to black. And we again see the evil force hit him, and he falls in this pool, and he turns into a demon or deadite or whatever, and the sun somehow transforms him back into a human. Do you guys interpret that as just you can't be a demon during the sunlight uh, was, hours? Or how does that work in the rule? Or are there rules for this world? Because I was kind of interpreting that as the, the light sort of burns away the evil. At least temporarily. Because the evil came back in force once the sun was setting. Right? That's what it seemed like. Yeah, that's because you said that during the during, while we were watching it, and the first time that made sense to me was when, when you said that. The sun comes out, we see the fog retreat into the mm -hmm. woods, and we see the fog retreat from his eyes. And then he says, the sun. Like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's also funny because later on in the movie, he's able to will himself back into being human by looking at that tacky necklace that he gives his girlfriend yeah. it's a looking glass a looking glass which is referenced in the song which i'd put together for the first time too as well. oh. the end of the nursery rhyme that the mother sings to our heroine daughter person and that looking glass is also used at the end of the first movie to set the book on fire which in this movie is perfectly intact 
<laughs> so it is. it does sort of pick and choose what from the original it's keeping. You're just on board for this crazy ride. Yeah. There are no rules. I was thinking it was something to do with love, just because it, it brought back the love that he had with his girlfriend, spouse, whoever it was. And then um, later... What is it when when the old hag is out and has transformed in that weird snake neck and, kill <laughs> yeah. him and the daughter starts singing and it's that moment they have this kind of emotional connection that makes the hag pause enough that so he can dis- disembody her yeah her. and i feel like the movie definitely picks and chooses with how much it wants to actually yeah let that really be a character it's like these human interactions that it sometimes cares about but most of the time it feels just like it's having fun with it. I would watch a lot of horror movies when I was younger. This is not new information for the <laughs> podcast. But the movies that would scare me the most, I was usually pretty desensitized. But the ones that would get under my skin had to do with the people you know and love being possessed by something. The Exorcist is a big one. <laughs> the first Tales from the Crypt movie, Demon Knight, which is still one of my favorites. And the first Evil Dead, but not this one. For some reason, there's, like, the possession in this is so kind of goofy. And, like, there's mm-hmm. less of, like, an emotional attachment. Like, even when her brother... It is her brother, right? That, yeah. That she comes with? They talk about their dad. Okay, mom, yeah. So. I, yeah. I've never... Kn- I always thought it was her boyfriend. It's been a while <laughs> since I've seen this. So, I I mean, it doesn't ultimately matter. Because he gets hacked apart into green goo and no one cares. I just find it interesting where there are some things where... It could connect emotionally if they'd made that choice but they just decide like no this is kind of just a cartoonish thing like some of those things really could resonate with the mom singing the song Mm -hmm. or when she sings it to the giraffe monkey beast but they choose to go on the comedic side which is a really interesting it's a lot of taunting about how empty those like characters really are because in the in you know the dance is the same every time the piano plays their song I did come up with a flaw, though. <laughs> the fact that we're not really sure of their relationships, like, <laughs> whether or not that guy is her brother or her boyfriend, that kind of thing, like, that is something they could have taken a little bit more time to develop. It's not really necessary, though, yeah, no, th- as the movie plays out. I mean, what's funny is, like, it's such a movie driven by style and action and these big gory set pieces that the story is almost perfunctory. It's so fast paced the whole movie that I find myself on every watch when there's that one scene away from the cabin or out of the woods when they're right. when the plane has landed and we first meet these other characters I find myself getting impatient on every watch even though it's like 30 seconds of downtime just because I'm so like I'm so locked into this super speed that the movie is on that I don't know. Like it's, I feel like it's hard to nitpick with characters and story when like that's not the goal of the movie. One thing I was thinking while we were watching the movie was how it was nice to see Annie, who's the old hag and archaeologist daughter, <laughs> anthropologist, archaeologist, one of the two. She was a really active female character. Like she actually had a lot to offer and was able to kind of partner with Ash or Bruce Campbell in some of the action, which was kind of cool. Yeah, when I she, mean, when she, people are getting ready to walk into that room, you know, we've got the uh, the trucker cowering. Yeah. While Bruce and Yellow Shirt <laughs> are ready to Annie. go in. <laughs> That strong female character, yellow shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Yet again, we just aren't that involved in the characters themselves and more what's happening. Well, and yeah, like Ash's name is Ashley, and I 
think we hear that once, maybe in the first movie. So, guys, pulling up the cast list, that is not her brother. It's, oh, it's a character not. named Ed Getley, and she's Annie Noby. Okay, but not you, her you wouldn't know that just from like a, a scant. I feel like there's a kiss on the cheek or something that looks yeah. like familiar in not yeah. a fam- I think familial he, way. He mentioned parents. He must have been talking about her parents, and I just understood it as their parents. Yeah. He's the rich, you know, boat shoe wearing (laughs) boyfriend. But somehow they had a connection and he was (laughs) murdered in front of her. And it's funny because I, I, in my head, I think of this as a really timeless movie, but the 80s hair is pretty extreme, especially on his girlfriend, Linda. I noticed that on this watch. Mm Mm-hmm. That, and also the Ed has the big mullet. I know that fans of the movie referred to him as Evil Ed. That was the only reason I remembered that his movie was Ed. <laughs> um, what was the other girl called Bo Jane? Or Bobby Joe. Bobby, Bobby, Bobby Joe. Joe. Bobby Joe. <laughs> Bobby Joe. <laughs> that character gets no sympathy. No. And then he he's murdered in a very fantastic way, though. And I love that they like place him down when you know he's already been stabbed. So, you know, he's starting to kind of, we're starting to feel a little bad for him, yeah. even though he's done this horrible thing. With the Kandarian like dagger. Yeah. It seemed like maybe she got him in the lung there, because he keeps saying he's, he can't breathe. Yeah, he's not in a good shape. Yeah. <laughs> but she drops him, and they've got that great overhead shot of him just, like, clearly focused on the pain of the dagger, but in the shot is the edge of the trap door. Mm-hmm. And it's just, there's a lot of those great hints. And then watching him be slowly devoured by the trap door as blood more I think that might be the bloody might even be bloodier than the hand yeah and it's this soapy like yeah <laughs> it's like pink blood yeah it's it's sort of pink and it very sudsy yeah. yeah very thin blood on that the, scene that was another one where the character involved in the action of it was not dirty enough for what happened like <laughs> there was a little bit of blood splatter on her face and shoulders and that was it even though yeah. she was technically being sprayed her by shirt should have been red after that this is true of all three of the movies that the continuity is all over the place because they would shoot these out of order and the it's hard to keep track I mean I guess they took like Polaroid of Bruce Campbell, but the blood splatter all over him is impossible to right. monitor because there's so much of it at different points of the movie. I think they also want him to stay recognizable if he's just walking around covered in red. It's not. <laughs> yeah. But one of the cool things that they've got is um, there is his ma- his face. They've got the makeup maps for like different scenes in the movie where you can where they've drawn on the different scars and scratches. Oh, and stuff. I think I've seen something like that. And it, it's a cool little piece of. You know, Bruce Campbell's face covered in scratches. <laughs> it's kind of crazy to imagine how difficult the time they had with the first one and that the series has just left such a stamp on um, sort of in people's memories. Because I, I know people on, you see on Facebook, they'll post for Ash Wednesday. They're posting pictures <laughs> of Bruce Campbell as Ash. Like, have you guys seen that? No, it's just, that's beautiful. Oh, I, maybe it's just the people I'm friends with on Facebook. You know, a lot of things had to go correctly for that all to happen. I mean, the first movie, they had it in the can, and then for a while they didn't really know what to do with it, which is something that all of us independent filmmakers can relate to. But I think it wasn't until somehow they, they were doing screenings of it to a lot of different people. It finally got to this this publicist who somehow showed it to Stephen King, and Stephen King wrote a really glowing review of it, wow. and they use the caption of that to really get it in front of a wider audience. So if a lot of people hadn't sort of stepped up for this movie, 
we wouldn't have gotten the second and third one that I feel like really built this cult around it. And to this day, I mean, we have the remake, which was not bad. It, it has its qualities. There's the TV show out now. There are countless video games. Yep. It's so crazy to think that this big phenomenon came out of what was essentially like a $90,000 student film out in the woods. Just even to throw it further out there, Ash has actually joined the Marvel Universe. What? And taken on Marvel zombies in comic what? books, yeah. or just wow. a, just to go a little weirder. Yeah, he's 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 uh, there's a I've, they're not amazing, <laughs> but I've you know there's a great opening where Ash shoots I think Donald Duck or no Howard the Duck, uh, who zombified Howard the Duck to open one of the books. That's so pretty... funny. So does this mean that tangentially Disney owns Evil Dead I now? I don't think so. Okay. I hope not. <laughs> I mean, that would mean more money behind them. Can you imagine a Disney remake of Evil Dead? What's funny is the remake <laughs> of Evil Dead from a few years ago is kind of the most serious one of the bunch. Like, they really yeah. kind of go for really grim, really graphically violent. And it's cool as just a horror movie, but it, it doesn't have the charm of these earlier movies. I'd say as far as horror remakes of classic horror movies go, it's one of the better ones, but it's missing that kind of, this could be really mean-spirited, just hacking up all these people in the woods, but there's something just kind of like fun and like good-spirited about it that's kind of hard to put my finger on. Maybe that just tied into knowing so much about the production of it and just knowing that Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell were these childhood friends and like this yeah. is just, you know, them living their dream. But there is, you know, there is something about these movies that makes you want to learn that stuff. Yeah. Because there is something so manual about it, the way the camera moves, the way that Ash front flips and beats himself with plates before yeah. cutting <laughs> off his arm with a chainsaw, that makes you want to just... It's very visceral in a in a very fun and physical way that makes you want to understand more about the process that they went through. But I think it's something about their relationships that comes through on screen, right? Like, yeah. it's just you have fun watching it even though it's kind of horrific. The stop motion that you brought up earlier yeah, and the miniatures in this movie, they feel very of a time that isn't necessarily even when this movie was made. Yeah. Because <laughs> they, they feel like Harryhausen-esque. Yeah, I'm trying to ima imagine this movie made in today's world of CGI. So you instead of having all the puppets, instead of having the stop motion, you just would have put that stuff on. And even the blood would probably be animated. To the credit of the remake, there are no digital effects in it. Or so oh, they really? say. Like, it's all practicals and, like, all, like, real fake blood. I had the joy of getting to work on um, this movie called Crabs. Oh, yeah. I want to hear about this. <laughs> which well, we worked with, um, I, I believe it was a Hala Effects. Yeah, there were practical crab monsters on set and crazy colors. Where did, was, where did you guys shoot that? It was shot in Fort Bragg and it was just amazing. The entire crew was took over a hotel and we just lived in kind of low budget practical horror for three weeks. That sounds like you had kind of a mini Evil Dead experience then. It was so much fun and just what you know the experience of we were, we were you know trying to keep things under wraps we weren't taking photos of behind the scenes as much as I would have liked but seeing a giant creature 
sitting on an Apple box resting because they can't take it off. <laughs> I mean, there's it's the the story's fantastic. It, it I I read the script and got so excited to be working on it. I showed up at the production meeting wearing wearing a Jurassic Park shirt, and the director like. Just shouted yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's shot in Fort Bragg, but it's set in Mendocino. Yeah. Right. Okay. And it's about yeah, radioactive mutant crabs taking over Mendocino during prom season. Oh that sounds amazing. <laughs> and it's in post production right it's now. It's in post production, right? and I, I don't know when it's going to come out, but I'm incredibly excited to see it. And, yeah, we got to, you know, because they're radioactive monster crabs, they've got colorful blood, and these people who are making these movies that are really... When, when you feel the craftsmanship like that and they care about showing the effects... Yeah. It's, it's definitely being handed down in generations of, you know, John Carpenter. I, I don't know what Sam Raimi's direct influences are, but you know that he has to... Like, there's so much love for whatever he grew up on. Which, I mean, Three Stooges is the obvious yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> Three Stooges is a big one. I mean, Evil Dead 2 really is just a blending of Night of the Living Dead, Texas Chainsaw, and some of the uh, <laughs> art direction stuff, and the Three Stooges. It's just such a strange combination. The interior design on that house, too, which we are given is so... Is this Crabs or Evil Dead 2? Evil Dead 2. <laughs> the, 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 the interior design on, on the, the cabin in Evil Dead 2, which were given that great guide of the first time the evil spirit, or forces, yeah, evil spirit, crashes down the door and chases him through the entire place before losing him in the trap door. And it's just like, I'm trying to understand and kind of remap the house in my mind for later. Because you yeah. feel like it's going to come up later, and it sort of does, but it's kind of the chaos of this very strange place that's got crawl spaces in the wall that you could walk through or yeah. run through. And, you know, getting to chase Bruce as he breaks down doors, too. It's just not the device <laughs> being destructive. He is his own... Like, the cabin definitely gets eaten up by everyone who comes into it. Yeah. And I feel like that was an advantage they had in this movie, it being a set instead of a real cabin. Yeah, that scene where he's running through the house and breaking down doors is so funny, too. Like, it, it's supposed to be really dramatic, and you're supposed to be afraid for him. And you kind of are, but for me, I was just kind of laughing because of how <laughs> his, he's, his face is so animated every time he turns to look back at the camera. Yeah. He really adds that slapstick. <laughs> yeah, the physicality of Bruce Campbell can't be understated. Gavin, do you have a preference for any of the uh, three movies? Would you rank them? Oh, oh, that's a good question. Evil Dead Two easily is my favorite. Yeah, kind of, kind of. I do love them as a trilogy, and I love the story around them and the mythology of the people behind it and the culture that they've created. But Evil Dead Two for me is this was also one of the early horror comedies that I saw. I think that really left an effect on me, mm-hmm. and. I really love my horror with a dose of like self-knowing comedy. Yeah. When after, because after I saw this was the time of Hostel coming out and Saw, and I know you're a big Saw fan. Yeah, well, I, I, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> but but I I knew that there was something special about this for me, and the the blending of comedy and horror, and being able to enjoy. Just everything about it, you're allowed to enjoy kind of when it's silly. You're allowed to really enjoy when it's scary, too. And Evil Dead 2 managed to both be kind of scary and really fun mm-hmm. in a way that the first one is, is definitely more serious and there's not yeah. as much 
there's not as many gags and there's not as many places to laugh. Yeah. And the expense of the money that they had to make the movie that led to some of their lesser qualities mm-hmm. weren't as enjoyable in the same way as they were kind of ramped up and embellished in Evil Dead 2. And then Army of Darkness was just a little bit too silly for me at the time. I think I saw it later than you guys did. It feels more like an action-adventure comedy. Yeah. It's got less of the horror angle, right? Like, I feel like it's really one of those it. that depends on when you saw it in your life. Yeah, yeah. seeing it as a kid gave us the advantage. Right, and yeah. I think I, I didn't see it until late high school. Mm-hmm. So I was a little bit too late for that. But I really do enjoy all three. It's just Evil Dead 2 sits the highest for me. Then Evil Dead, just kind of, but partly because of the stories around it, and the beauty of like these kids getting to do something that they really wanted to do and launch this amazing careers for most of the people involved. Mm-hmm. And then Army of Darkness I do enjoy and I have a poster for it in my wall because the imagery in that film is insanely beautiful and the craftsmanship in that as well of like creating these medieval empire that is gonna be the the place for a showdown for, you know, a Midwestern with a shotgun and a chainsaw and the legions of the undead. It's really a beautiful place to be. What about you, Lindsay? How would you rank these films? As a kid, I would have said <laughs> Army of Darkness first, but as an adult, probably Evil Dead 2, then Army of Darkness, because it's just fun. Like, it's so yeah. much fun. And then I'd probably put... I, I enjoy Evil Dead, but it is very dark. It's a little bit more serious, so maybe my least favorite. I'm, I'm a little bit torn, because it's been a while since I've seen the original, and even Army of Darkness. I, I have all three of them, but I find that the one I keep returning to is Evil Dead 2. It just... It's kind of the best of both worlds, like we've sort of been hinting at here. Like, it's got the real horror qualities of the original and the real comedy qualities that maybe the third one leaned a little bit too hard on. But I, their Army of Darkness just has such a special, <laughs> special place in my heart that I think that is my second favorite. I mean, if the story of the making of Evil Dead was a movie, that would be my favorite. <laughs> because I do love all of the mythology surrounding the first movie. It's just not one that I'm... That's probably the one I would put on the least. But I do love all three of these movies. We've kind of already addressed this, I guess, but... Uh, just for the sake of uh, consistency, we do have a rating system on the show, Gavin, that you might be aware of. It's buy it, rent it, tape over it. What do you do with your VHS copy of Evil Dead 2? Well, I, I do own a VHS copy <laughs> of Evil Dead 2, um, as well as VHS copies of, I think, the entire series. And, yeah, I would say buy two. Give one to a friend. Keep spreading the religion. Great answer. <laughs> I, I would say buy it as well. Yeah, I would also say buy it. This is a really fun movie, and it's just it's even if you're not into horror movies, it's a lot of fun to watch because it doesn't take itself seriously. You can laugh at it, and it's fun to watch with people. I think this is the first triple buy it we've had on the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was really hard to say buy it with <laughs> Adventures in Dinosaur City and or the Saint. <laughs> Although you said buy it for It Takes Two, it I just... has a special place in my heart. I. <laughs> I was never a seven-year-old girl, so I couldn't quite get into that headspace, but I was charmed by it. Gavin, where can people find your work on um, the interwebs? Well, you can look for my website, gavinvmurray.com. That's V as in Victor, yep. right? We will also have this on tapeheadspodcast.com. And uh, hopefully you'll just see my work in theaters someday and recognize my name from the podcast when you see the cinematographer title. 
That's All right. right. <laughs> Look out for crabs. Which I didn't shoot, <laughs> but I'm very, very excited about. Um, you worked on it pretty heavily. I was the though. best boy grip. You're the best boy grip. Well, there we you're, go. You're our best boy grip, Gavin. I don't know what that means, but. <laughs> and thank you for being on the show. Thank you for bringing your lovely special edition widescreen copy of Evil Dead 2 put out by Anchor Bay, I believe. And yeah, next time you'll have to bring on, I don't know, Exorcist 2 or... You brought a whole bunch of sequels over to our house this morning. It was pretty fun. We had an Evil Dead 2 brunch. Lindsay made pancakes and we made some bacon and mimosas. It was a pretty fun time. Thank you guys. It was delicious. We'll have to do it again for one of your other sequels. (laughs) (laughs) Most definitely. Or you're you're kind of a Batman and Robin guy. That might be a... I am. That almost seems like a rite of passage for every Which movie I podcast. Do own on VHS as well. Yeah, and this is a movie that you <laughs> legitimately love because I feel like a lot of bad movie podcasts will have Batman and Robin on. And it. I've, I too try and listen to those, and they kind of break my heart every single time. The fact that Joel Schumacher has apologized for the film really, really yeah. breaks my heart. Well, <laughs> tell you what, if you bring so if you bring your copy of Batman and Robin on this podcast, we will give it a fair shake. We will. We will not just bash it for a full hour. I think we can make that promise. Right? I don't okay know. No promises. No guarantees. All I also right. was a fan of Batman and Robin, though. So you're probably safe with me. I was more of a Batman Returns, Batman Forever kid growing up. I mean, Batman Returns and and Batman and Robin are are tied for my. They're the best Batmans in over Dark Knight. As complete movies, yes, definitely. Okay. Yeah. I think that the first two-thirds of The Dark Knight are something magical, but as complete movies, Batman and Robin and Batman Returns both just deliver full, complete universes for you to soak in, and they're, they don't have an extra third of another movie tacked yeah. on the end of it. I think the real issue is you just hate Aaron Eckhart. I No, I love Aaron <laughs> Eckhart. Thank you for smoking as a, as a tour de force. It okay, excellent. Yeah. I guess one last thing to talk about in terms of just Evil Dead 2, which I always, when I think about this movie, and and I even more stamped on it this viewing, is the old hag's physical construction um, ties it to Dead Alive for me a lot. Oh, the, the Peter and, Jackson. And the same way that Sam Raimi came from the Evil Dead series to land Spider-Man and become just a very respectable filmmaker with a lot of range Peter Jackson came from you know brain dead dead alive you know both made these small kind of more intimate zombie movies and with more gore than you see in most things yeah and and comedy and and just wit and turned them into these long very successful careers yeah definitely I'm not just going to skip my turn here, (laughs) despite the tragic loss of an American werewolf in London. I do still want to do a horror movie, um, and I think I'm going to do another horror movie also from 1987, um, kind of more on the serious side. I feel like it makes an excellent pairing with Man of the House, (laughs) because it's also about learning to deal with a new father figure except in if you recall in man of the house jtt was suspicious that chevy chase was a serial killer and this movie posits 
What if he is? This is uh, 1987's The Stepfather, starring Terry O'Quinn, probably best known as John Locke on Lost. And yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to um, introducing Lindsay to this particular <laughs> film. It's one that I've been trying to get onto the show for a while, but uh, I, I keep deciding to do something else. <laughs> so I don't know, maybe an American werewolf in London self-destructing was... Um, just a sign that it's time to do the stepfather. <laughs> I'd like to thank Will Price for a use of his theme song, Mandatory Groove. You can find more of his music at soundcloud.com slash gargantulon. You can find more information about our other episodes on our website, tapeheadspodcast.com, or on iTunes. You can also rate us and review us on iTunes. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can email us at tapeheadspodcast at gmail.com. So that's it for Tape Heads. I'm Sean. I'm Lindsay. I'm Gavin. (laughs) (laughs) Hell yeah, you are. (laughs) Until next time.